So I'm going to be spending uh, some time up here, my first sermon. I thought it was only right that I, I get to know you better as a whole since you're going to be hearing from me for a little bit. So since I'm new here and I don't really know the lay of the land yet, I would like to know if we are an iPhone congregation or an Android congregation. So let me see it. If we've got an iPhone, let's just let's see your hand. All right, all right. And if you've got an Android, it's okay. Be proud. All right, all right. Okay, good. All right, so are we a kind of place that likes cake or pie? So let's see our cake lovers. No, I didn't. Okay, and let's see our pie lovers. And if you're like me, it's both. Okay, so I was completely overthrown by that one. You guys are not taking anything with that. Okay, so how about books or movies? Okay, books. Books. Okay, movies. Okay, hey, that's, that's good. Okay. All right, so are we an early bird kind of congregation or are we a night owl kind of congregation? Early birds? All right, and our night owls? Okay, all right. You know, I, I'm not an early bird and I'm not a night owl. I have like this time right now in the middle of the day. That's my prime. So until I was eight years old, I was not only the youngest in my family, I was the youngest on my mom's side. So for eight years, I was used to being called the baby. So much so that my family nicknamed me Kayla Baby. And even though I was eight years old when I gained cousins and I was no longer the youngest in the baby, that nickname is still used today. I remember growing up in middle school and in high school, and I was spoiled because I was used to being the baby. But I had a bad attitude. My parents were sure to tell me that if I worked hard, I could be capable. So they made me this way. So why couldn't I just do whatever I wanted? My family knew to be careful with Kayla. She might be cranky. And I would simply announce that I had made plans with friends. I wouldn't ask. And there would be times where I would get into arguments with my mom. And I would say something sassy or something rude, and we would end up just staring at each other, and I was glaring the whole way down, don't break eye contact, don't break eye contact. And I knew that I was testing her patience and probably all of her sanity. But it was a phrase that I heard all too often in response. I am your mother, do not speak to me that way. I am your mother. It didn't mean to me then what it means to me now. When she pulls that phrase on me now, it stops me. Have I reverted to some snarky sentiment from my teenage years that I hope that I've grown out of? Or is she reminding me that no matter how old I get, she gets to say the blunt and honest truth. Because I am your mother. Whether it's about my hair, my makeup, my shoes, whether it's about a simple way that I think of something, any different subject, whatever, because of who she is, she gets that permission. Who do you say that I am? If we've grown up or spent any time in scripture, it's a phrase that is well known to us. Jesus, who's been teaching, he's been preaching, he's been cleansing lepers, and he's even manipulated the weather. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is healing and then he feeds the multitude. He's traveling with his disciples in chapter 16. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees demand a sign 
from Jesus. And when Jesus refuses to give them a sign revealing his identity, he leaves and then he asks his disciples. So if you'll open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 16, we'll spend some time there. We'll start with verse 13. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in your pew in front of you. Verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. So my first observation today comes about identity. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? So if we answer this question right now, today, in this place, we can say, Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our Redeemer. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is the light. Jesus is the love. Are we the people, or are we the disciples? From lyrics that we sang earlier, Jesus is a healer, he's mighty. Who do you say that I am? Now, I ask this question now from Pastor Kayla asking the congregation, who do you say that I am? And so I hope that you'll be able to say in time more than just the new associate pastor at the church. I hope that in time you'll learn that I, as you kind of already did, I love ice cream and I love french fries. And this might sound weird, but when you put them together, that's good too. Thank you. I'm the youngest of three children. I'm the only girl. So if that story earlier didn't seem a little different, there's a little dynamic to add to that. I like to climb rocks and I like to jump into oceans and lakes. If you're familiar with Gary Chapman's five love languages, when I say that my love language is quality time, you'll get it. And if you're not familiar, when I say quality time, you should still get it. <laughs> I just got the keys to my new place. So I'm now local to San Diego. And so if you have any tips and tricks, I learned last service that I need help being San Diegan, or also, this is still correct, I need help being a San Diegan. So inform me, let me tell you a little bit about me. If you experienced me on my first Sabbath here a few weeks ago, um, you might have noticed a few things about me, and I'm here to confirm and or deny some of those things. Um, so I, I walked in just before 9 o'clock, before first service. Pastor Milton had told me to be here so that we could pray and get on with our service, introduce me to you all. And while I walked in the, this door right here, the band was still practicing, so I said, I will sit in this front pew until they're finished, and then I will not be rude and make my way back through the door. In the same second that I sat down here in this corner pew right here, I stood back up and I walked back outside because I knew my parents had just parked. I got to the curb and I see my mom getting out of the car door. I said, Mom, I need your help. And she goes, okay, let me just finish putting on my shoes. No, Mom, I need your help. She kind of looked at me like, oh, I don't know what that means. I'm going to go, right? My mom doesn't walk like that, by the way. Um, and so 
she comes to, she meets me at the curb, and I said, so my dress busted, the zipper, done. So she goes, uh, okay. And so I, we make a beeline to the bathroom. And you all are here being wonderful that you are greeting me in the hallways and in the foyer. And I'm like, hello. And I'm like, can I just go to the bathroom? I need to get there. And I know Mimi was putting up this wonderful display over here. And I'm like, oh, this is great. Thank you. And I just want to walk right in. So I get in, my mom zips me back up, and I'm like, okay, all is good. I turn around to open the stall door, and there it goes. So it's just like, okay, what are we going to do? My mom looks at me. She goes, you know what? The blazer you're wearing, it covers the entire thing. Don't even worry about it. So the rest of the day, while you might have said, oh, look, there's our new associate pastor. Wow, she might be a little nervous that she's starting her new job here. Wow, this is a new community. She's going to experience all of us. Yes, I was nervous. Yes, I was anxious. But it was because I couldn't have come to my first church and worn a better dress. Um, so I get to this place and I'm thinking, um, what's going to happen? My mom, meanwhile, has called my dad and she's like, figure out where you're going to get the safety pins. So in between services, we jet back to the bathroom. So if you thought that I was a frequent bathroom visitor, I was that week, but it's not a medical condition. Um, my dad comes with safety pins. I said, okay, well, it looks like 30 safety pins are going to keep me all together today. And while wow, you guys had the most beautiful reception for me, and I felt it, it was lovely. Every hug meant a little bit more of a scratch or a poke or a something. And so it's not that I have an aversion to hugs, and I hope that I have tried to do that in our greeting time. I will hug you. I'm not scared. But that day, I was like, please be soft. <laughs> right? So more than a disclaimer about who that person might have been on that first Sabbath that you saw me, um, I was those things, but now you know why. And you guys were so gracious. You know, we're in, the, we're in the hall, and I'm sweating because it was a hot day that Sabbath. And I have my blazer on, and so many of you have said, oh, we're not that formal here. Go ahead and take off your jacket. Take off your sweater. And I'm like, well, thank you. And I just try to walk away before we have to talk about it. me and how I process some things, right? And my biggest thing is thank you. Thank you for being a place where I can come and share this story. Thank you for being a place that makes it okay for people to be safe and to feel that warmth that's here. While I might have gotten a story for the rest of my life, I gained something much more that day. You guys have been so wonderful, and I have been so excited to start this new journey of faith here with you all. I'm excited that the identity of this community is built on grace, that the identity of this community takes seriously what it means to live a life of faith together, and that we are rooted in Jesus here. Amen. So if we look at our Bibles and we pick up in verse 17, Jesus responds to Peter, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. It is such a powerful passage of scripture. After all the miracles and proclamations that have happened, who do you say that I am? This observation is about faith. 
Blessed are you, Simon Peter. In Mark's gospel, Jesus does not praise him like we see in verse 16 here in Matthew. In Mark's gospel, we don't get quite such a positive reception. Jesus is the Messiah. As we listen to this story and as we internalize this concept here today, we should be sitting here thinking, yes, amen, Jesus the Messiah, there he is. And I think to myself, man, if I could have been part of the original 12, to have Jesus ask me, who do you say that I am? And to be able to proclaim that you are Jesus the Messiah and finally be able to look around this world and know that all of the pains that we go through and all of the heartache that we go through will, will be over. But if I'm honest, I think that sometimes I identify more with the Peter in the Gospel of Mark. The one whose answer isn't as convincing. In Mark, Peter says, you're the Messiah. And then the Bible, and in my Bible it says, Jesus responds sternly. Because we know if we've read this story, that they didn't really understand what it meant when they proclaimed Jesus as the Messiah. This isn't a contradictory telling of the stories in Matthew versus Mark. It's a way to bring this story to life that maybe we have done lip service at times, but we weren't actually there. So my two observations today revolve around identity and faith. These two concepts that I have a hard time separating is my faith, the one that dictates my identity. Yeah. But is it also my identity that dictates my faith? Well, yeah. So when we claim our identity because of faith we have in Jesus, what does that mean? Do we understand what it means when we proclaim ourselves as Christians and we name Jesus as our Savior and Redeemer? So who does the world see when we proclaim the name of Jesus but are impatient? Who does the world see when we claim the name of Jesus but we are not kind? In my time while I was studying at Andrews, I had the opportunity to teach four undergraduate classes. And since I was also a pastor, they had me do worship all of the time. And so one of the illustrations that I saw, I brought to the classroom. And so I asked my students, we're going to use the alphabet, A, B, C, you got to college, we know what that is. I'm going to need you to give me a word starting with A and then B and then C and so forth to finish my phrase. Why are Christians so? So we started with A. And the first person kind of, you can tell he wants to say something. He goes, uh, annoying? <laughs> and so I was like, okay, well, you know, we're taught that there are no wrong answers. Uh, but let's move on. So let's start with B. And then, why are Christians so? And then I get, bad. All right, this illustration is going as planned. Um, C, why are Christians so cranky? And then I was like, okay, this is the last one, D. So I can't take this anymore. And then somebody yells, dumb. How many of you guys have ever Googled something? Google? Are we, are we Googlers? Not really? Is that, that's funny. Are we Googlers? Okay. So I, I don't think we are. Um, so I'll tell you that when you search in Google, you start to write something, and Google tries to anticipate what you're going to say. So, oh, so, yeah, we are Googlers. Okay. Um, if you type in, why are Christians so, and then you type A, that drop-down menu of all the things you can anticipate. And they're not good. Angry, arrogant, B, C, D. And you can go through the entire alphabet. There's a YouTube video of it, or you can try it yourself. Hopefully things have changed in the last two years. I don't know. 
But that's, that's what it is. So what does our identity say when we claim that we are Christian? Who do people say that we are? So we consider our scripture this morning in Matthew. Oh, to be able to have that faith like Peter had. One that the church can stand on simply because this faith is so great. You and I wake up each morning and we get a choice. We get to choose a life of faith. We get to choose Jesus. Because Jesus, our Savior and our Redeemer, brings us hope. And with this hope and with this faith, we've been called to something different on this earth. We've been called to do something different here. It's powerful. And it's transformative. And I think whether we've found it yet or not, I th- that's why we're here. I've been able to sit with some of you for the past few weeks, and I've, I've heard stories of how the Spirit is moving in your life and how the Spirit is moving in the life of this church and in this place. And it is so exciting to be a young pastor who gets to be a part of that. It's been exciting to hear you tell me stories about how you've been placed in situations where you've only been able to make it through because of your reliance on God. And so I'm excited to be stepping into a community that is continually seeking Jesus. For the past few Sabbaths, Pastor Milton has been giving us insight about what the Bible says regarding love. What does it mean when the Bible calls us to love God and to love our neighbor? How does our understanding of love change when we read our name into 1 Corinthians 13? So there are studies that say that if you look a person in the eye, you can deepen intimacy. And the magic number for these studies says four minutes. That's what it takes. Deepen intimacy with somebody in four minutes by looking them in the eye. But it's looking them into the eye, that's it. No speaking, if you can help it, just that one experience. So in a video that I saw, they took 12 people, so that's six couples in various stages in their relationship, some dating, some married, some strangers, with kids, without kids. And this video captures those four minutes of what's happening as people stare into each other's eyes. I have just a small clip of the larger video that I've seen, and you can search it on Google or on YouTube. But if you'll turn your eyes to the screen, you'll be able to get a glimpse just a little bit of what I'm describing. of marriage we've never really looked into each other's eyes like that but I do look at your eyes sometimes because I'm checking your blood sugar you check on me all the time yeah (laughs) I wondered what you were thinking how wonderful it was to just sit here and look at my wife for a change without discussing work business and situations. When I look at you really closely, I realize how much I need you and what you mean to me. And 
because that's the truth. And I uh, couldn't imagine being with anybody else. It's pretty interesting to be able to sit in front of someone that you don't know just and just like, look what, at. Ago? Yeah, and just <laughs> feel like you can't not see each other. Yeah, we kind of walk away. And So if you want to check that video clip out, you can, by all means, go ahead and search it. But these studies also further say that if you look into somebody's eyes for four minutes, your heartbeats start to sink. So I'm one of those pastors who said, let's try it. And we have time because this is second service. So if you're scared, that's okay. This is church. This is where we're supposed to be forging our, our wonderful relationships. We're going to spend the time. Um, I gave first service two minutes, cut it in half because we're, we're up against the clock there. But I think I want to try it. Four minutes. Um, we, we look into somebody's eyes and you just stare. And if this is not your thing, because this is deepening intimacy, exactly what the title of this video says, that's okay. I'm not that mean. You can take the time to pray. You can take the time to think. Think about those times where you could be looking somebody in the eye, but you might not be. Or you're looking them in the eye really quickly and then you just pass along. Um, there are times in this world where we're so media driven and everything's go, 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 especially became true when I moved from Michigan to California. The pace is just different. And here, sometimes we just need that time. So whether it's looking somebody in the eye or stopping for that time to recenter and to think, what am I doing? Who am I looking at? And how deeply am I looking into the things that I'm a part of? I'd like to take the time. So if you would be so kind to indulge me in a challenge, then I commend you. Please do. If not, spend the time thinking. And if this gets too weird, because she said it was weird, then maybe we'll cut it a little short, but I'm not going to let you off the hook that easy. So if you'll take the next few moments, maybe it's somebody that you came to church with, maybe it's somebody that you know, go ahead and choose somebody to do this with. Sharon's ready. And I'll, I have a timer here. We're going to go ahead and spend the next couple of minutes doing this. So go right ahead. Start. Five, four, three, two, one. So that was three minutes. That wasn't even the full four. And I don't know how easy that was for you. I don't know how hard that was for you, whether you got bored or enticed. So like I mentioned earlier, further studies will say that if you look into somebody's eyes for four minutes, your heartbeats start to sync up. And I don't know if that's true, but it has good sentiments that I can buy into. It gives us a new meaning to the question, do you have a pulse on what's going on in your community? It gives us new meaning to the idiom, listen to your heart. The way we look at this phrase now, listen, listening to your heart means that it's so much bigger than just you. What about if a person says their heart's after Christ? Looking into the faces of others so that they might have the opportunity to see Jesus. You might have to do it long enough so that they have that opportunity. Or whether or not you're looking into the faces of your community so that you can see Jesus. Faith and identity. These are two concepts 
that I have had a hard time separating. I wanted to share a little bit with you about my faith journey. I was in college at La Sierra University. Go La Sierra. Yeah. Um, and for the first time, I got to experience college students who took Jesus seriously and who took faith seriously. So I decided I want to be a part of whatever they're doing. And when I started to spend time in scripture and when I started to spend time in the principles that Jesus says about love and says about community and says about other, my life started to become transformed. I look at people differently because of the way that I've spent time getting to know Jesus. And I hope that that is something that we can continually grow in no matter how far we have been Advent or how long we've been Adventist or Christian or not or whatever. And so I realized for the first time when I was in college that I didn't need to turn into some magical something to become a diehard follower of Jesus. For whatever reason, Jesus is using me to inspire me to have a faith and to be here and to be there and to be everywhere. And I sound like a Dr. Seuss book, but when it comes to faith, and it comes to this transformational thing that, that we call a relationship with Jesus. There are no words. And all of the words. So who do I say that I am? I say that I'm a child of the living God. I say that my identity is found in Jesus, that I happen to be a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, and I'm part of this group that has changed the way my faith and my life looks. I say that in spite of suffering, there is hope, that there is a future that I can look forward to because faith is real and God is real. And if you haven't discovered that yet, or if you're still figuring it out, there are so many people in this space who can attest to that. Because I know the kind of God who created me, I give him permission to help me understand what it means to love in this world. My outlook and my purpose have dramatically changed. And just like many of you, I have had the profound experience of letting Christ do amazing things in my life. So we may continue to be broken and battered, but God is using us in miraculous ways so that we can be seen and so that others can be seen. The question is whether or not we're taking the time to do it. So our lives are filled with God, or another way of saying it, our lives are filled with love so that when we look at our neighbor, when we look at our coworker, or maybe it's looking at each other here today, when we finally take the time to look each other's long look at each other long enough just like the old song says they'll know that we are Christians by our love amen